After a 30-30 season and an all-star selection in 2021, Cedric Mullins didn't quite do the same in 2022, but that doesn't necessarily mean he had a bad season. In fact, he was pretty dang good for the Orioles this year. And Masson's Paul Mancano is going to join us to talk about just that as we recap Cedric Mullins' season coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, November 11th, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to continue our Orioles 2022 season review series as we take a look at the O's center fielder and their leadoff hitter, Cedric Mullins. We'll compare his 2022 season to his breakout 2021. Talk about, is it really fair to compare the two seasons and why, despite the numbers being down, he was still a very productive player and why the O's should hold on to him. Moving forward, we're going to be joined by Paul Mancano to do just that. He of Masson All Access Podcast on TV at Masson as well, covering all things Orioles. You've seen and heard him on this podcast before, and Paul is going to join us in just a second. But first, today's episode of the Locked On Orioles Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So here to talk about Cedric Mullins today is Paul Mancano. He's back on the podcast. He is the host of the Masson All Access pod over at Masson, of course, covering the Orioles. You see him on your TV. You listen to him wherever you get your podcasts as well. And Paul, thank you so much for hopping back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me from across town. We could probably walk to each other's buildings and yet uh, would rather do this Zoom. It's, it's, it's a very cold night, so it's totally understandable. Yeah, I mean, if we shout it, we can maybe do this podcast uh, in person right now. But yeah. uh, we're here to talk about Cedric Mullins because I think a lot of people want to call this season for Mullins a disappointment. And I guess if you compare it to 2021, you have maybe a point because what he was in 2021 was an easy all-star, a 30-30 player, you know, a six-war guy. And when you go down to about three and a half wins and all your offensive stats drop, I get it. But I feel like we're maybe not giving him his due. And here's how I feel. I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of my first reaction to Mullins. I think 2021 is the outlier of what he'll be moving forward. And while I think he could be better than this year, I think what he is moving forward is kind of closer to what we saw this season. I agree with that take because I think what we saw in 2021 was his absolute ceiling because it would be the ceiling of most MLB players. I mean, if if most MLB players had the best seasons of their careers, they would not be as good as Mullins' 30-30 season. I mean, by comparison, I completely agree. It was a down year pretty much across the board, but that's like comparing uh, – $2,000 bottle of wine to like a $1,000. Like it is a very different comparison and it's tough to compare Mullen's 2022 season to his 2021 season because his last year was just so good that anything is going to look bad by comparison. So I think if 2022 is his floor or his baseline level of production going forward, 
you have, like you said, a three-win player, a very good defensive center fielder, a pretty solid hitter at the top of your lineup, and a base-stealing threat every single time he's on. So Bat still is a very valuable player. And simply because he didn't repeat his historic, incredible numbers from 2021 doesn't mean that overall this season was a disappointment. And it is easy to compare the two years because he basically spent the entirety of both seasons in the leadoff spot playing center field every day. And he was almost identical in plate appearances. He had 675 last year and 672 this year. But the difference was obviously hits the 30 homers, steals the 30 bases, hits 291, a 136 WRC plus and worth six war according to fan graphs in 2021. Now the 2022 stats, they did go down a bit. Again, he hit 258 this year. He slugged just 403, which was way down. You know, that was one of the issues. He went from 30 to 16 homers. Now, he did steal more bases with 34 this year. A 106 WRC plus meant he was still above average as a hitter, and that got him to 3.4 Fangraphs war. And you could argue he got even better defensively this year because he had the same range, but he improved the throwing arm from well below average to, I think, closer to average, if not league average this year so the first thing I wanted to look at specifically I think is the homers because that was the standout surprise of what he did in 2021 was hit 30 home runs you look at Cedric Mullins you look at what he did in the minors and his short time in the majors before last year and you say this you know five foot eight speedy center fielder is not a guy I would expect to hit 30 homers and yet he did then he came out and you know the new wall not really going to impact him much as a left-handed hitter He hits 16 home runs this year. And the same amount of plate appearances basically has half the power. His slugging goes way down. I think the home runs is the top stat where it's like, I'm not worried at all about the drop because I think even if he's going to be better than this, he's still going to be no more than a 20 homer hitter. I think that was a a huge, huge outlier, the 30 last year. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where that came from last year. I mean, it was a combination that had to have been of the improvements he made that off season of pitchers, not knowing what he was capable of and probably giving him way more pitches to hit than he got this past year. Um, and probably a little bit of bad in ball luck this year. He did not have that same winning combination and it led to 16 homers, but 30 homers, like you said, I don't think that's going to be repeatable for him. He is small in stature. He's five foot eight. He's strong, but he's not big enough to turn on the ball. He's never going to have opposite field power. He didn't, even in his 30 homer season, never really drove the ball to the other way. So his homers are going to have to come, you know, into right field or right center field. So I'm not too concerned by that 16 homer mark. What I what concerns me a little bit is the fact that his expected slugging percentage went down. Uh, his hard hit percentage was 33%, well, according to StatCast. Uh, barrel percentage, he was in the 24th percentile there. Um, and he didn't walk that much is another concerning factor. He 36th percentile in walk percentage. Part of that could have been due to the fact that, again, he's getting better pitches this year than he was last year. But he's just not going to have 30 homer power, I don't think, going forward, unless he dramatically changes his body, which might hurt his defensive ability or his speed. So I think that that's okay. I mean, we have seen a lot of superpower hitters be inserted at the top of lineups across baseball. It's the new wave of thing with Kyle Schwarber, with the Phillies, with Aaron Judge, with the Yankees. So 
that you can do that. You can go that route or you can go with Mullins, who is more of a prototypical leadoff hitter. He's going to hit a lot of singles. He's going to hit for pretty high batting average. And when he gets on, he's going to try to steal bases, which I think is perfectly fine when you're constructing this team to have more of a prototypical leadoff hitter as opposed to a power guy like we've seen around the league. And his other power counting stats, I mean, you know, 37 doubles last year, 32 this year, five triples last year, four this year. I mean, generally, it was what you would see if you take a little bit of an offensive dip. It was really just the home runs that went way down. Of course, he stole four more bases this year. Him and Mateo just kind of fought the whole year. But when you look at kind of the all-encompassing offensive stats, like the WRC Plus dropping 30 points, a lot of that is because just the homers. And homers are huge. Homers, you know, bring in runs. Homers are the run creation, the number one thing you can do to create runs as a hitter. And he just didn't do it as much. But in terms of overall hitting ability, I mean, you did mention – that, you know, the walks were a little down. His strikeout rate remained pretty much the same, I think, which is a good thing. And it's not, you know, generally a really, really bad strikeout rate. It's right around league average for hitters at this point, which I will certainly take. You know, he still used his speed, trying to lay down a bunt, you know, stretching singles into doubles at times this year. And and something you just mentioned about a leadoff hitter. I mean, obviously, if the Orioles go get a Trey Turner or maybe even a Carlos Correa, if that does happen, I think that guy could unseat Mullins in the leadoff spot. But if that doesn't happen, even if the O's add to the lineup, I think he still did enough to be hitting first on opening day of next year. Definitely. And it's not like you have to hit him first every single time. Because we saw Brandon Hyde last year when we got deeper into the season where this team had a lot more depth. Gunnar Henderson was coming up. Jorge Mateo was establishing himself as an everyday guy. Adley Rutschman, of course, was in the middle of that lineup just about every day. You saw Brandon Hyde move Mullins a little bit around. I mean, he gave him some days off when they were facing lefties. And sometimes he put Ryan McKenna in the leadoff spot and put Mullins in the nine hole or in the eight hole to be a second leadoff hitter to go with Ryan McKenna. So I think if the Orioles have even more lineup depth and they make an acquisition for a big bat that could unseat Mullins at the top of the lineup, that's okay too. Mullins doesn't have to necessarily be your leadoff hitter every single time. And if Brandon Hyde decides to mess around with platoon, he might be okay with moving Mullins down near the bottom of the lineup. And Mullins was fairly productive in that role. It's just facing lefties is the tough thing because for Mullins last year, that was where he had his major struggles hit only 209 against left-handed pitchers. And when you are facing a lefty starter to have the leadoff man, have that low of a batting average with really no power against lefties, four homers against lefties this year can be a major detriment and just kind of puts you in a hole offensively that it's hard to dig out of. So I think especially against lefties, unless he makes dramatic improvements against left-handed pitching going forward, I think that Mullins could find himself more near the bottom of the lineup or taking some days off against lefties going forward. So we'll get back to talking about all things Cedric Mullins with Paul Mancano of Masson in just a second. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this fall and winter. And you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From college football to the NFL every weekend, to the NBA, college basketball starting this week as well. You've got the NHL too. 
And of course, it's almost soccer time. We're just over a week away from the start of the World Cup. They've got all the odds, all the lines for every game at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which I hope you do if you're listening to this one, you can find those too at BetOnline. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. To kind of gauge, you know, how worried should we be about this season against lefties? Because really, if he was going to struggle against lefties, you would think it would have been last year. He he drops yeah. switch hitting. He becomes, you know, the fully left-handed hitter. And he's facing guys lefty on lefty for the first time. And it's at the big league level. And what did he do last year? He hit 277 against lefties. He slugged over 450 against him. He had a 113 WRC+. plus. He had nine of his home runs against left-handers. The power was there. The average was there. And as you said, it just... It just wasn't there this year. You know, he, he struggled to just barely hit above 200 against lefties. And, you know, when you're putting Ryan McKenna in that spot, and I think generally most people agreed that that was probably the right move because of how much, you know, McKenna could hit lefties at times, but really how much Mullins was struggling against them this year. Or, you know, they put Austin Hayes in that spot sometimes down the stretch as well. And I agreed with it every time Hyde did it because you can't have a guy struggling that much against left-handers up at the top of the lineup, you still want him in there for when a righty comes out of the bullpen and you still want his defense. But how concerned are you? Because we've seen one really good season overall, which included him still hitting righties better, but hitting lefties. And then you have a season where, you know what? His stats against righties were worse, but they were still good. He just did nothing against left-handers. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that Hyde was very good about deploying McKenna in those instances. And so many times this year we saw a lineup come out that featured Mullins near the bottom, McKenna at the top because they were facing a lefty and the fan outcry was deafening. And then we'd get a couple innings into the game and McKenna would have two hits and then the other team would bring in a righty and they'd bring Mullins in off the bench and he would have much better at bats than he would have or he would have. You know, if he was if he wasn't starting that night, he would have been brought off the bench or they could platoon McKenna. So it worked very successfully, I think, this past year. But it does give you questions about whether Mullins can truly be a 162 type player. I know there really aren't that many 162 players anymore, but it is difficult to say this guy is our every single day leadoff hitter if he is that bad against lefties. But again, he wasn't horrific. 207 is not good. But it wasn't to the point where he was a huge detriment and you just couldn't play him against lefties. He just would be bumped towards the bottom of the lineup in most instances. I do wonder going forward, though, because we saw Austin Hayes have that downturn offensively in the second half of the season. Ryan McKenna is a nice fourth or fifth outfielder, I think, but you don't really want him leading off all that many games in 2023 if you want to make the playoffs. And Colton Kowser, who is probably the next man up from the minors, is a lefty. So you're expecting him to probably hit lefties poorly as well. So I don't know if they really have a great internal option if Mullins continues to struggle against lefties. And this may be an instance where maybe they go outside the organization to find somebody, especially another guy, Kyle Stowers, is a lefty. So this may be kind of the one instance where this outfield together may not be able to hit lefties very often. And when they are facing lefties, the outfield as a group might be a little bit of a weak spot. Yeah, I think if they're you know not going to go for the 
Trey Turner, Carlos Correa guy, which doesn't solve the exact problem, but gets a good right-handed hitter in your lineup, so solves a lot of your problems. I think an A.J. Pollock type would work perfect because he struggled, but he still mashed lefties. Now, righties are going to get him out, but if you put him in some sort of platoon, even if it's with a guy like Kyle Stowers in the outfield and Mullins is still in there every day, you're going to be able to hit lefties a lot better. But as we look at Mullins, you know, it was a little concerning as well that the strikeout rate was way up against lefties, whereas his strikeout rate actually went down from last year against righties. So he was looking better against them. I think it's something to work on. It, you know, it was a lot of lefties with sinkers. They would pound him down and in. He just could not get to that pitch. Um, it wasn't as much, you know, whiffing at breaking balls down and away. He did that kind of as much as, as lefties generally do. It was kind of that bearing pitch down and in that would get him, but wanted to to move to the things that even if the bat ever goes away, will kind of always make Mullins uh, uh, at least playable guy. And, and that's the, the base stealing and the defense. And he took them to even higher elite levels in 2022. Of course, he stole four more bases, ended up second in the American League behind his teammate, Jorge Mateo. Every time he was on first, he was you know, a, a danger for the other team to swipe second base. And then in the outfield, you know, his range stayed the same. He was a gold glove finalist this year, but also I think the arm got a whole lot better and it went from really something that would hurt the Orioles to in general, just being at least average. And if you just look at defensive runs saved, I mean, five this year versus negative one last year in the outfield. So he got better after what was a good season. And I think that's something you can at least say about Mullins is if the bat isn't what it was in 2021, he's still valuable because he's seemingly getting better in the outfield. Yeah, this reminds me of conversations that we used to have about Mullins before his breakout 2021 season was if he can just hit a little bit then he's still a valuable player because he brings you plus speed on the base paths and because he brings you plus defense in the outfield. And then he had that breakout 2021 and the offense became a little bit more of the focus, but his calling card will always be the speed in the defense because they are above average. The sprint speed remarkably isn't even that high. It's 80. It seems like he's a lot faster than that 80th percentile, according to StatCast, but he's very smart on the base paths as well knows when to steal, knows when to take the extra base. And then in the outfield, like you said, the strides that he took were tremendous. He improved his arm strength significantly each of the last two years. It was a major issue for him when he first made his debut several years ago. He has now made it maybe slightly below average, which is fine considering his range is incredible. I mean, how many plays did he make during the season where it felt like he was a ball magnet? In in football, you have like ball hawks, who are cornerbacks and safeties, Mullins, it felt like anytime there was a ball anywhere near him, he'd be able to make a play. And we kind of took it for granted, I think, over the course of the season because he was so good defensively. But it is a major plus. And Brandon Hyde mentioned so many times over the course of the season, having Mullins in center and Austin Hayes to either his right or his left gave you this incredible one-two punch, I guess you could say, in the outfield defensively of having two guys who are above average defensively. Hayes' range isn't that good, but of course his armor, arm is better than Mullins. So you had two guys who were above average defensively, and they took so much pride in their defense. So he is always, Mullins will always be, if he maintains his speed, if he maintains his range, he will be a valuable player. And if he gives you this baseline of production offensively, that is a guy that can help you win games, period. 
Yeah, he, he's going to continue to do that for the Orioles, whether it's out of the leadoff spot. I, I think he's in this spot. And as we kind of, you know, wrap up here, we do know that Mullins is going to have things he wants to work on because, you know, coming off of a 2021 season where I don't think even his wildest dreams, he was going to do what he did that year. He took some steps back and we already talked about the struggling against lefties. He's going to want to work on that. A big thing in his offensive game is Paul. He pretty much hit fastballs at the same rate this year, but he hit 281 against breaking balls in 2021 he hit 214 against them in 2022. So whether it was from lefties or righties, the breaking stuff really hurt him this year. I'm sure that's something he'll get in the cage and, uh, you know, really start to work on as well. But as we head into the next season, you know, rumors are going to swirl like they continue to do. And he's going to be put into these trade conversations, not by the Orioles, but just by people who are going to talk about, you know, what would make sense because the O's are looking for pitching and other teams are going to be looking for still younger players who, you know, can have been all-stars and, you know, certainly would fit other teams. And you're looking at Colton Kowser, maybe he's a a nice fix. But I feel like Mullins has just been so good despite what you would call struggles at times this year. It's hard to find a center fielder who plays that good a defense, steals that many bases, and even in a, quote, down offensive year where he was basically a smidge above league average at the plate, he's worth three and a half wins. It is hard to find a player like that So I just think unless a team says, here's our ace, but you have to give us Cedric Mullins, he's going to be an Oriole for a while now. And even if it's not in the leadoff spot long-term, even if, you know, three years down the line, Cedric Mullins is playing center and hitting eighth for the playoff Orioles. I think that's well worth it to keep him around for the long-term. Yeah. Think about what he's giving you for, a guy that is entering his first year of arbitration. I mean, this kind of player on the market at 28 years old, who brings elite speed on the base paths, who brings plus defense in center field, and who brings pretty much a plus bat offensively hitting from the left side of the plate and can hit in the leadoff spot. That guy's going to cost you at least $10 million a year. I would think average annual value on the free agent market. And he's under contract for three more seasons through 2025. So he's going to be a valuable player. He's going to give you, so long as he stays healthy, more value than somebody would in free agency who odds are, you know, a center fielder, he may not be 20, he may be 29, 30 by the time you sign him, you're not getting his best peak athletic years. Mullins is in the middle of his athletic prime right now. And Colton Kowser, I know the Orioles expect him to be a very productive player at some point, a big leaguer at some point. He certainly has checked all the boxes. He's a potential five-tool player, but he's not quite there yet. I mean, he just got called up to AAA Norfolk, and he had a good 17-game stretch at the end of the year, but he's probably not quite ready to make this opening day roster and be a contributor from day one. He might be as good as Mullins down the line, but he's not there yet. So until you know exactly what you have behind Mullins in terms of depth, I think that Mullins will continue to be your everyday center fielder, you know, give or take a couple days here or there, depending on whether you're facing lefties. But he is a very good player right now. Colton Kowser, maybe. Kyle Stowers, maybe a very good player at some point. But I think if you're looking at that outfield, Mullen seems like a sure thing to stay. It's more when you look at Austin Hayes that I think you start to wonder about his long-term future. But I think Mullins has answered all the questions about whether he deserves to stick with this team for the next three seasons. Yeah, you're looking forward and you're looking at best case scenario, he's an all-star again. And I think worst case scenario is down the line, he's your starting center fielder. You hit him eighth or ninth. 
and he's like a 100 WRC plus guy, and he can still steal you 25, 30 bags and play great defense. I, I think teams need that. I mean, even if the offense isn't going to be there moving forward. I mean, the Astros won the World Series with Chaz McCormick getting a couple hits, but basically kind of be in there to make a couple of catches and hit ninth. You know, yeah. that's fine. And Mullins, even at his worst, is better than a guy like Chaz McCormick. So I think that fits the Orioles lineup. I think that fits the plans. And again, if prospects like Colton Kowser really are hitting well enough, they're going to be in the big leagues, whether or not Mullins is there or not. They're going to find a place to play him if he's lighting the world on fire next year, starting in AAA. I just think Mullins has been too important to this team, despite, yeah, a little bit of a down year to, to move on. And I think he'll certainly be in an Orioles uniform and producing next year. But Paul, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Cedric Mullins. Again, wasn't the year he had in 2021, but still a great season. And still, when you look at the war leaderboards, I mean, he, he finished number two behind Adley Rutschman on this team. So, you know, you're still looking at one of the most important players on this O's team. Yeah, he was one of the finalists for, um, you know, most valuable Oriole when the season came to a conclusion. He got a lot of votes in that category. I gave him a vote. I think I gave him my second place vote in terms of most valuable Oriole because he was so solid from start to finish. He's turned into more of a veteran leader on this team, which is crazy to say, considering how much he's grown over the last several years. And I, I think he is definitely a piece going forward when you talk about him. And when this team eventually is in the playoffs is truly in a wild card race. I think the Orioles will have a much better lineup below him. And if he continues to hit out of the leadoff spot, I know fans were frustrated a little bit at times because they were expecting some were expecting 30 Homer power, but when you have better hitters behind him, it'll make Mullins look a lot better. And Adley Rutschman, you're going to have for a full season. You're going to have a full season of Gunnar Henderson, and you could potentially add a big time bat, which will just make Cedric Mullins at that point, just icing on top of the cake. Yeah, and that's the goal. The lineup's going to get better, and Mullins will, will continue to look better as that happens. But, Paul, thank you again for joining us. Let everybody know where they can see you, where they can hear you. Uh, continue to talk about the Orioles this offseason because, you know, it's free agency time, and I know you'll have all the moves covered as well. Yeah, the Mass and All Access podcast. You can catch it anywhere that you get your podcast. We go live on Facebook and YouTube every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Follow me on Twitter at Paul Mancano. So our thanks again to Masson's Paul Mancano for joining the podcast once again to talk about all things Cedric Mullins in his 2022 season. And again, it's an important conversation because, yes, he was not the player, especially was not the hitter he was when he was an all-star and had the incredible year back in 2021, but he still stole 34 bases. He got better defensively. And frankly, he was still a productive offensive player. And I think his offense could get a little better moving forward. As we talked about, it's probably never going to be at 2021 levels, but that's okay. He was still a three and a half win player, despite all the offensive numbers being down. They're going to go back up a little bit in 23. I know there's rumors the Orioles should not trade him. He needs to be the Orioles center fielder moving forward. But in terms of the Oriole outfield, we actually learned on Thursday that one of the pieces who at one point they thought was going to be a centerpiece of their outfield and a centerpiece of their lineup is no longer in the organization. And that is Yusniel Diaz because it was reported on Thursday while free agency did open, but nobody really signed, at least of time of this recording, about 9 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday night. 
that Yusniel Diaz was put on waivers by the Orioles. He passed through waivers, and he was outrighted to AAA Norfolk and off the 40-man roster. Now, the Orioles did fill that 40-man roster spot with John Means. They had to activate him off the 60-day injured list today. It was a procedural move. It does not mean he's any closer or any further away from being back. You just can't sit on the 60-day injured list during the offseason. So the O's activate him. He takes up a 40-man roster spot. And then most likely on opening day, the Orioles will place him back on the 60-day injured list until he returns some point in June or July next season. But because they took off Diaz, added means, the 40-man roster still sits at 34 players against six open spots for the Orioles. But back to Diaz, you know, it's a pretty crazy fall for him. Going from one of the Orioles' top prospects, the centerpiece of the Manny Machado deal, to being put on waivers and not even being claimed by you know, a team like the Pirates or the Tigers or, you know, any of these terrible teams. He passed through waivers. He was assigned to AAA Norfolk, but Yusniel Diaz actually has not accepted that assignment and instead has chosen to become a free agent. So unless the Orioles want to re-sign him on a minor league deal at some point this offseason, the Yusniel Diaz era in Baltimore is effectively over. The only thing that he got out of it or that the Orioles got out of it was one plate appearance. Remember, he got called up kind of at the last second for a series in Texas against the Rangers in August. And he got one pinch hit plate appearance and he struck out in the ninth inning of a game. And then he played one defensive inning in the field. That's all the Orioles have to show for the centerpiece of the Machado trade. And when you think about the fact that the Orioles released Ryland Bannon earlier this season, he got, you know, a few at least a couple more chances this season in the big leagues with the O's. The other pieces are gone. The only guy left from the Manny Machado trade is Dean Kramer. And now it's nice that Dean Kramer really did have a breakout season here in 2022. Looks like a piece for the Orioles rotation moving forward, which is great. But the fact that Diaz just never put it together is concerning. It's really more disappointing because I don't think the Mike Elias regime ever really saw him as a top, top piece. And he just wasn't anything special at all. This year in AAA, 70 games because of injuries once again. Just shy of 300 plate appearances. He hit just 251, 346 on base, just a 360 slugging. He had only six home runs in 70 games. He had a 93 WRC+. Plus. I mean, Yusniel Diaz was 7% worse than the average AAA hitter this year when he was playing for the Norfolk Tides. That's how bad it had gotten for Diaz. It just was never going to happen with this Orioles team. You know, he just turned 26 back in October. There is still a chance for him to to figure it out at the big league level. And I guess it's nice that he got that one game, that one plate appearance in the big leagues with the Orioles and did make his major league debut with Baltimore. But it just was never going to be a guy, you know, with all the outfielders that are already in the bigs and all the prospects that have that've crossed him at this point, that have have lapped him. It's sad that it ended this way. I hope he figures it out somewhere else. I hope he gets healthy. He latches on with another team on a minor league deal this offseason and can get to the big leagues. I am cheering for Yusniel Diaz to make a career in the big leagues. It just was not going to happen for him in an Orioles uniform. But he will not be an Oriole. It does not look like any longer. But there was a multitude of other players who actually chose free agency on Thursday for the O's. Shout out to the guys over at BSL on The Verge for tweeting out the list of the players who had elected free agency on Thursday. 
And it's a heck of a list. And I tweeted this out when this list came out Thursday night. It is the end of an era for some of these guys. Now, Yuzniel Diaz is probably the big one just because of how hyped he was when he came over in the Machado trade. But DJ Stewart has also chosen free agency. DJ Stewart, who has spent his entire professional baseball career with the Baltimore Orioles, will now be a free agent. He'll be another guy who isn't getting a major league deal. He'll be searching for a minor league deal or potentially could be a guy who goes over to Japan or potentially Korea. Probably a better fit over there than getting a minor league deal. Our guy SMK tweeted that out. You know, maybe it's time for using the Diaz to head over to the KBO. But, you know, he's about to turn 29 later this month. Of course, the Orioles' first round pick back in 2015 made it through the minors, finally got to the big leagues in 2018 and played parts the last five seasons with the Orioles. Actually made the opening day roster for the Orioles this year. If you can remember, he had a pinch hit appearance in all three games, that first series in Tampa Bay against the Rays. He went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts and a flyout in those three pinch hit appearances. He was then sent back down to AAA Norfolk and never returned to the big leagues this season for the Orioles. In AAA, he had his hot stretches, don't get me wrong, and, and he put up some good numbers. I mean, he didn't play a lot, but in 105 plate appearances, he did hit 256, had six home runs, had a 136 WRC+. So he was definitely productive in AAA, and, and he could probably find a spot on a KBO team or in another team's minor league system. But he played a lot of games and had a lot of plate appearances for the Orioles over the last four years. It's it's interesting to see him go. Matt Harvey also has chosen free agency. You know, he never pitched in the bigs this year for the O's. I don't think they'll bring him back. Alexander Wells choosing free agency. Of course, he was a, a highly rated prospect for the Orioles for a while. Pitched in the big leagues in parts of each of the last two seasons. Was actually a part of the O's team, you know, early this year, but ended up with an injury, missed the rest of the year. He'll become a free agent. And then a few more guys who mean a little less to the Orioles. Lewis Head, who we saw a little bit in the bigs this year, was a waiver claim from the Marlins. He chose free agency. Andres Angulo, a catcher who was injured a lot this year. They brought him in on a minor league deal last year. Never got to the bigs. Jacob Nottingham, who the O's brought in on a minor league deal last year, surprisingly never got to the big leagues. I thought he should have to be Adley's backup. He'll be a free agent. Brendan Hanafy is an interesting one. Sinker baller in AA who the Orioles drafted. He had Tommy John surgery, finally returned to the mound late this season. He will test the free agent waters and try to latch on with another organization. Chris Given was an infielder. The O's actually signed to a minor league deal in August. He's right back out there as a free agent. Brett Cumberland, who was one of the guys the Orioles acquired at the deadline in 2018, a catcher who spent all of this year in Norfolk, is a free agent. And then Rico Garcia, who we saw have a couple of different stints out of the Orioles' bullpen this year, was a minor league free agent last year, spent most of the season in AAA, has elected free agency as well. And any of these guys, the Orioles could potentially bring back on minor league deals for 2023. And I could see them doing it with a couple of those guys, including maybe Alex Wells, maybe Hanafy, maybe Rico Garcia and Nottingham as well. But I mean, the, the big ones that that caused emotion, Yusniel Diaz and DJ Stewart, their eras with the Orioles are over. But hopefully as some of these players hit free agency, the Orioles start to be active themselves in bringing players in in free agency because it opened up on Thursday night. And as of recording, looks like the only deal that's happened across baseball just came across as I finished recording. Looks like Clayton Kershaw headed back to the Dodgers on a one-year deal and could be maybe his last year 
in the big leagues. But hopefully this weekend, the Orioles start to get active, whether it's free agency or trades. And hopefully come Monday, we've got some roster moves to talk about here on this podcast. And if the Orioles do make some moves, we'll break it all down right here on the pod coming up on Monday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.